Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. For the past five months, I've been waking up in a, like a semi-delighted panic, thinking, oh god, oh god, I need to get to work on this book that I'm writing. And the book that I'm writing, for complicated reasons, it had to be done by September, I needed to get it to my agent, I needed to make sure it checked certain boxes. And while I was writing it, and while I was revising it, I was also, at the same time, reading as many thrillers and mysteries as I could, on top of the book, the nonfiction books that I was reading as research, and it occupied, like, all of my spare time, it occupied all of, all of the imaginative square footage in my mind. And now, as of, um, Wednesday, I'm done! The book is done, it's out, I submitted it to my agent, she said to give her a few weeks to, you know, she's got a queue of things she has to read. But in the meantime, there's no urgent project that I'm working on. I am just floating around, looking for something to take very, very seriously. And that gives me pause. That kind of freaks me out. The fact that I am freaked out at having nothing to freak out about. The fact that if you put me in a room and ask me to just sit around and enjoy myself, I immediately get worried. Like, you know, time is slipping away. I ought to be doing something that will quote-unquote better myself. It just seems indulgent. Like, Like, I haven't earned the right to just sort of sit down and watch something and just enjoy it. But a few years ago, I was floored in the way that many people were floored by it in the 70s, reading a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's not a particularly, like, awesome book. It's very easy to make fun of, and people have been doing it for a couple generations now. It's about a philosophy professor, I think his name is Robert Persig, and he talks about going on a motorcycle trip with his young son. And something about the motorcycle trip prompts him to explore certain philosophical ideas. Every scene in the book is about how, like, he impresses everyone around him. It's a huge vanity project, but he ends up, but it, or his quote-unquote character, the quote-unquote character in the quote-unquote novel, gets caught up in this question of what is the definition of quality? If I say, like, oh, this is a lamp of quality, what does that word mean? You would say, if you're prompted to define the word quality, you probably say, like, oh, it's a thing that is good, it is in the realm of ways that it could have turned out. This is on, like, the more positive side of that spectrum. What the dude ultimately ends up settling on, sort of the the philosophical thesis for the book, he's saying, like, quality is not an adjective, it is an event. Quality is where you're just so in the moment. When you say something is a thing of quality, you're, it is actually the moment where you are appreciating sort of the glory that was always there. The glory that in your absent-mindedness you just failed to see. So when you gobble a spoonful of SpaghettiOs and you say, hmm, quality, you're not, re- like, it, 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 according to Robert Persig, you're not saying these SpaghettiOs are delicious, you're saying, oh, this is a moment where I happen to be, be mindful enough to appreciate how delicious they have always been. And I guess that's how I'm just supposed to be fucking living right now, with no, like, a creative project going on. I'm just supposed to go around and look at things and appreciate them, I guess? Try to clear my mind. But what I've noticed is that that's what the creative project was doing. 
Obviously, if you wake up at 4, as I was doing, if you're waking up at 4 a.m. every day for five months to work on a book for three or four hours and then ideally get another three or four hours in later in the day, yes, it might be that the project you're working on is particularly immersive and rewarding, but what's, what's, what in retrospect seems like very obviously the case is that you're running away from something. You're trying not to be asleep. You're trying not to be left alone with your thoughts or you're, you're just you're wandering impressions of what's going on around you. And yeah, I'm trying to sort of have a reckoning with that. Like, what are the thoughts that just come up unbidden that make me uncomfortable when I'm sitting alone with nothing to do? And let me tell you, there's a lot of them. I'm starting to notice, like, if, if I'm in a quiet room and there's no stimuli and I'm just like, I've got nothing urgent to do, I immediately start thinking of like embarrassing shit that happened years ago. Anyways, that's what I'm doing, floating around trying to pay attention to things, and here are the things I've noticed in, try, in, my, my, in, my, in my quality moments. A couple weeks ago, I was ringing up a customer at the grocery store, and as I was ringing her up, swiping her items, she was just looking around with like a squint, like she was on edge about something, like she was really searching something out. I said, is there something you're looking for? Do you need help with anything? And without really looking at me, just still scanning the store at a squint, she shrugged and she goes, when do you guys get pumpkin shit? And I said, uh, are you looking for like candy or like a drink or something in particular? And she shrugged and she said, I don't know, man, pumpkin shit. And she didn't say it like in a flip way. She didn't say it with a grin or a chuckle. She was very sincere. She just wanted pumpkin shit. And at the moment, I thought it was amusing. I thought this was like kind of an eccentric person. Little did I know it was just the start of a wave. No one else referred to it as pumpkin shit, but everyone started asking me slowly, sometimes kind of embarrassed in a weird way, about like, hey, do you know when you guys are gonna start having like pumpkin items? Didn't really understand what was going on here. I know pumpkin shit is popular, but I thought that the pumpkin shit thing was mostly a Starbucks event? I was mistaken. Last week, the first week of September, we got our pumpkin shit and holy Fuck. By the end of that shift, my first shift back after being away for two weeks, I think at, by the end of the night, it's, it's it's fair to say every fourth or fifth item that I rang up for a customer was pumpkin flavored, pumpkin themed. And I've always thought it was kind of silly, kind of just something to mock about the Starbucks culture, the Starbucks crowd, but now like... I kind of get it. I see that it isn't just a fetishization of the pumpkin taste. It's really about like the induction of a season. And I realize I'm way behind the curve in acknowledging it for being exactly what it is. But something about having worked in this particular retail space throughout the three glum months of summer when everyone seems to be out of town and there's very little business and everyone's hours are being reduced and you kind of can't tell one day from the other because every day is dead, no one is showing up, people are buying smaller amounts of groceries. Suddenly, when things kick into action in like the last couple weeks of August because kids are going back to school, parents are buying, you know, box lunch kinds of things, you start to feel a little bit differently. You feel like something is changing, like the, the clouds are parting, the sun is shining through, but it's not a malevolent, malignant kind of sun that you get during the summer down here in Miami. It's a peaceful sun. It's a sunshine that is that kind of comes in slatted and diagonal through the windows, and it's accompanied by the rustle of trees and whatnot, the chirping of birds, 
and most importantly, the masticating slump crunch of people eating pumpkin flavored shit. So that is the development in my life is now I am unabashedly not only like appreciative of why people become so obsessed about pumpkin stuff in the fall. I'm becoming a participant in the craze. I got some pumpkin bread and you know what? It's pretty good. Marie went to the grocery store the other day without me and she brought back a bag of apples and I have not had an apple in a very long time. I really like apples. I've always really liked apples, but for some reason when I'm at a grocery store and I'm shopping on a budget, they don't arouse me. But she got this bag of apples and so I ate an apple and I was like, this is so fucking good. I love, it reminded me how much I love apples. Every now and then I need someone else in my life to do that for me. So I ate an apple and then shortly after that, I ate a second apple. And I loved it. And I was like, dude, and it was a big ass bag of apples. And I was like, I could eat apples all day. I could, I was reminded of this thing from the Steve Jobs biography that came out a few years ago. In the 80s, Steve Jobs was working for Atari. And everyone could tell, even then, that he was a genius and they really wanted him on board. They didn't want to make him angry and he had a very violent temper. So everyone like tiptoed around him. He also didn't take criticism well at all. It's hard enough to work with someone who does not sort of gladly take any kind of criticism. It's another thing when that person it also is also disgusting. And Steve Jobs was disgusting at the time. He was a fruititarian, so he only ate fruit. And because he only ate fruit, he was under the impression that his body had fewer toxins than everyone else's. And because he believed that his body had fewer toxins than everyone else's, he maintained that he did not need to shower as much as everyone else. So he would go through the offices barefoot, he would not use deodorant, and if anyone spoke up and said, Steve, I'm sorry, you smell like shit, he would just, he would stare them down, and he would get really intense, and he would lock his jaw, and he would say, no, I don't. That's how I was feeling when I was eating these apples. I was like, this is a life changer, this is a game changer, and it would be a cool project if I just, like, only ate apples for, like, a week. But, in a quick moment of hesitation I, and caution, I googled how many apples can you eat in a day? And it turns out you really should not eat more than like two apples a day. Like it's very healthy, it's good for your teeth, but also there is a lot of sugar. It is, it does indeed appear to be the case that an apple a day keeps the doctor away, but any more than three apples a day will summon him. And I started to understand it once I was eating pumpkin-flavored things, too. It isn't so much about what you're eating, it's about the feeling that you get. Not in your palate entirely, but the emotional response. And I started thinking, like, maybe that's a kind of hack toward happiness? That we should all be so lucky as to find and fall in love with some ubiquitous, seasonal, endlessly versatile ingredient that, once a year, for maybe a couple months, it's presented to us as something old and distinct and very familiar. Something that intones a million memories, except there's always something new about it. Each year has some zany new pumpkin-flavored treat that will cozy up to your olfactory bulb, and it'll trigger memories of this season from previous years, but it will also make, it, it will imprint itself as something new. My dad and I have this tradition. Every year, in the first or second week of December, my dad and I will be sitting somewhere and he'll lace his fingers under his chin and he'll squint at a wall and he'll click his tongue and he'll turn to me and he'll say, you know, it just doesn't feel like Christmas this year. He has done this every year for 17 years. This will be the 17th year 
that it happens, and every year that he says it, doesn't feel like Christmas. I respond by saying, you said that last year. And then he gets contemplative again, try, trying to remember what it was that was distinct about last Christmas that made it feel potentially un-Christmas-like. But he can never remember anything distinct about the previous year's Christmas season. And because he can't remember anything distinct about it, he ends up shrugging, telling me that he doesn't remember, and that I'm probably wrong. That no, this year is unique, and the reason it is unique is because it just doesn't feel like Christmas. And that's when I always make the same argument. I say, yeah, the fact that you don't remember anything distinct about last year's Christmas is probably because it didn't feel like Christmas, which is why you kept complaining that it didn't feel special. And every year he responds to this with another long, contemplative pause, before shaking his head and telling me, no, this year's different. This year, the Alex, this year does not, it just does, there's it's something in the air. This just doesn't feel like Christmas. Over the past five or six years, the tradition has been adapted to include a nice follow-up. It's usually two or five days after that conversation where he will tell me, you know, I was thinking about what you said about Christmas last year, and I, I remembered last year did not feel like Christmas. There's probably a million reasons why Christmas tends to not feel like Christmas anymore to my dad. He was born in Cuba, and then he was raised in New Jersey, which coincidentally are the only two places in this this region of the world that Santa Claus avoids. But I think part of it might be that the traditions are all the same. He is a traditional dude, very easy to please. He's never demanding about anything. And so Christmas comes as it always comes. And there isn't much to distinguish one year from the next. The practice of these traditions has become so routinized that it is almost like the tradition itself is it begins to undermine whatever whatever felt so sacred about the event that you created a tradition in the first place. But if you're a pumpkin motherfucker, each year is like a mitzvah for you because Starbucks always has some new pumpkin concoction, something insane. Uh, the grocery store where I work has a million products that are pumpkin infused. There's pumpkin body wash, pumpkin scrub, pumpkin candles. Each year there is new shit and so it's always very different from the previous year but it's familiar. It's just familiar enough because it's all underlined with that flavor, that smell of pumpkin, which is like a nice, soft background song. It's like saxophone. It's saxophone for your palate. Soft, unintrusive saxophone that allows you to go through the motions of your season, of your daily life in that season, but with every munch of pumpkin, every sniff of pumpkin, you're like, oh yeah, wait, it's fall. And it's just a nice little, a little shove into mindfulness into appreciating you are enjoying a certain time of year that you have always loved, but this time it's different. This Christmas doesn't feel like last Christmas or the one before it because they were each their own thing. What they all have in common though is that unlike other times of the year, Christmas is this time where we are all stopping and we are assessing what we're doing at the moment, we are assessing who is around us and what our life circumstances are, and we're asking ourselves, does this moment feel right. And that's the kind of mindfulness I think I'm trying to get into just on a regular basis now. And I was thinking like that anecdote about the tradition that I have with my dad on Christmas is its own like meditative mindful mantra is every now and then on a given Tuesday in September or November, just look around you at the blazing hot sun, the fact that it is very definitely the middle of September, look at the decor on the walls, what people are wearing, what is the music that is playing, and just turn to someone nearby and say to them, in total 
appreciative, vivid assessment of the moment. It just doesn't feel like Christmas. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thousand Movie Project Podcast. As I recently mentioned, I just finished a big creative project, and one of the things I'm jumping into to keep myself occupied, try new things, stay challenged, is I've been doodling shit. I've been doodling quite a lot, and like writing notes to people. So if you're not totally freaked out by the idea of sharing your mailing address, and you want to get a little something in the mail from... I was going to say the podcast from me is really the, where you're going to be getting mail from. You can go ahead and send your mailing address to thousandmovieproject at gmail.com. That's thousandmovieproject spelled out. It's the words, no numbers. And in the event that life things haven't swept me up and sort of consumed me in the time between when I'm posting this and when you send it, you should expect something in the mail in the ensuing couple weeks. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.